It's quite a, a number of years since we have crossed by ferry from Larne to Stranraer or Stranraer to Larne. But going back quite some time, I remember some of those crossings, while some of them might have been okay, smooth, without difficulty, on another occasion it wasn't so straightforward and those two and a half hours or whatever felt like a lifetime, feeling nauseated, trying to uh, uh, get uh, sea legs, being sick, and the ship rolling in the seas. Oh, how glad we were to see dry ground. And if you've had such an experience, you might begin to appreciate what it might have been like on the ark with Noah as that great boat was tossed to and fro and turned in the water high above the mountains. Remember the ark was left uh, to be moved here and there by the currents as the geysers gushed up from the deep and as the rain fell and as the water was no doubt swirling around as it was swings going down the mountain sides into the valleys even though the whole world was covered that's what creates the currents and we can't imagine but that the ark sitting above the water was at times tossed here and there add to that the occupants ark Noah of course and his wife his sons and their wives but then also a large menagerie of animals of all kinds. You just have to think of some of the smells of the aromas that might have been coming from those animals and how that would have made the whole experience uh, have added difficulty. Surely Noah was going to be much relieved to get to dry ground and to get back down to earth. Yet even when the ark does come to rest on Mount Ararat, we find that it's not over. It's like being in that ship coming into harbour. You're there, but you're still cooped up inside for a period. And imagine if the gangway isn't properly in place or there's some problem, you could be there for another hour or two. Noah had to wait another five months even when the ark was on ground. Chapter 8 of Genesis tells us of how the flood recedes. And if if you were uh, to chart out the coming of the flood and the receding of the flood, we see how Moses under God has a pattern Wenham, in his commentary, in one of his writings, has pointed out the pattern, and it goes a bit like this. There were seven days of flooding on the earth, uh, waiting for the flood. Seven more days waiting for the flood. Then there was 40 days of flooding. And then 150 days when the flood waters covered the whole earth. Then another 150 days of the water waning or receding from the earth, and then 40 days uh, of waiting, then seven days, and then another seven days. And if you read through carefully, you'll see all of that here as the water builds up and now as the water 
recedes. So altogether, Noah has been in the ark for uh, about a year. No wonder he would be ready to leave the confines of the ark with all the animals. This chapter begins with the words, God remembered Noah. And that is not to say that God had forgotten Noah. Of course not. But when the scripture speaks of God remembering, it is telling us that God is going to act. In his remembrance, God acts. And this is what is happening here. We have other references uh, to things like that in scripture. We think of the time when Abraham was, was remembered and God saved Lot. If you look to Genesis 19:29, uh, in the midst of the chaos of being brought on those cities, God remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, out of those uh, evil places. When he remembered Rachel, she conceived and brought forth a child. God remembering is an indication of his activity, of his action that is about to take place. And God remembering Noah in the ark means that God is now going to act specifically for Noah. It is time for God to bring Noah back onto dry ground. And so as we think about God remembering Noah, we want to see how he does act. And that's the first thing. We want to just think about what God does as he acts. We read in that first verse, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. He acts by sending a wind over the earth and the waters recede. It's not as though God had not really been acting. Of course he has been acting. He sent the waters in the first place. He sent the deluge upon the earth in his judgment, swallowing up every living thing except those saved in the ark, Noah and his family. God has been active in judgment against the people of the earth for their waywardness and their wicked thoughts. But Noah had found favor with God. Now God remembers Noah and that's an indication he's going to act in a more specific way for Noah's um, salvation. He's been saved through the ark but now the focus is on God's grace to Noah to bring him back down to earth to dry up the ground so that Noah and the animals can again go back onto dry ground. The furiosity of the judgment is over. The earth has been cleansed and it is time for Noah, the righteous man, to again occupy his place on the earth. And so the record describes the receding of the water. And we have read through that. After 150 days, the water had gone down. On the 17th day of the 7th month, the ark comes to rest on Mount Ararat. 
But that was just the beginning as the ark settled there on that place God had prepared. Noah had to be patient as God continued to dry up the ground. And you can imagine Noah in those last months. The ark is now settled. At least we're on ground. We're in the harbor. But as he looks out, he's saying, Lord, when am I going to get out of this? When will the time come? And he might have looked out day after day and thought, what is happening? It seems little is going on. But God was bringing the waters back down into the bowels of the earth, gathering them into the oceans and the lakes over that five-month period. God was still working even though for, for Noah it maybe didn't look on the outside as though much was happening. And all that time, Noah simply trusted in the Lord. He was able to discern that God was at work and he waited upon him. Sometimes we might feel that God is not at work. We don't see anything happen. We might, or at least it's very, not very obvious. But there is a lesson here for you and for me. We could illustrate it, uh, by the way, uh, something we're used to in the, in the light of a, a building work that goes on. You begin to see the work start, and if you look from the outside, you'll note the foundations go in, the walls go up, and you say, yes, the builders are getting on well. But then, after the roof goes on, it seems very little happens. You can look every day from the outside at that building, wherever it may be, you think not much is going on. You can't see. But the vans are there. The builder is busy. The electricians, the carpenters, the plumbers, the plasterers, they're all in there beavering away. You can't see from the outside. But the, the, the place is prepared for habitation. The work is continuing maybe largely unnoticed. You may notice a few small things. So it is often when God acts in the world. And sometimes today we might feel, what is God doing today? In our society, where is God acting? We see little things, but there's no great movement. We don't see any great powerful working of God. But God is at work while evil seemingly flourishes, you can be assured that God is preparing the world for that day when Jesus Christ will come again in judgment. And as Noah had to be patient in waiting for the day when God would speak to him to say, go out of the ark, you and I need to be patient in doing Uh, the Lord's will. Noah had plenty to get on with in the ark. He had still his responsibilities, looking after the family and the animals and all the rest of it. He had to be faithful in what God had given him to do. And you and I need to be faithful to what God has given us to do, even though it may seem that we're not having much impact or the world itself doesn't be, isn't being changed around us. In our waiting for the living Christ to come again, we are to do 
God's will. We are to be active in God's service. We are to seek to bring the word of God to bear as he has proclaimed to us. We are to speak to people. And sometimes we might think, well, why should we? But friends, we are to bring God's word to bear on people's hearts and minds. We can see this in individuals. Sometimes people have spoken to individual people and nothing has changed. They've spoken the word. They've laid out God's truth faithfully. And it seems God is not working in their lives. But what you cannot see is what's going on in their hearts and how by the Holy Spirit they're being challenged and changed. This evening we're going to be thinking about uh, Stephen and how he was persecuted and put to death. And where did they lay their clothes? At the feet of Saul. Stephen might have looked at Saul and said, I've preached the word to this man. Nothing has changed. It's useless. But what happened? God was working. All of those things were happening in Saul's life. So that when he met the Lord in the Damascus road, he was changed. And friends, God may not seem to be at work in the lives of men and women. Or we need to be patient, for he is at work. Just as he was at work drying up the earth for Noah, he is at work in our world today, bringing honor to his name. Noah had things to do. He sends out the raven, and it flies back and forth. He sends out the dove and brings it back. He sends it out again, and that's where we get the seven days. comes back with a freshly plucked olive leaf, and then he sends it out, and it doesn't come back at all. And he sees that God is at work through those small things. Maybe it's small things that we will see God at work through. That leads us to the second section where we think about how God speaks. God speaks. When the time was right, the word of the Lord came again to Noah. It would seem that God had not spoken clearly to Noah in the whole time from the beginning of the building of the ark until the day he said, enter into the ark. And once he was shut into the ark from then until now, when he tells Noah to leave the ark, God spoke uh, to Noah and he said to him in verse 15, verse 16, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. God makes it very clear, Noah, the day has come. And clearly he was to leave the ark. Noah didn't try and rush to do this in his own time. Noah had to wait for the Lord to speak and show him what needed to be done. And when he was to leave, he was dependent on God. The Lord had shut him in. He had to wait till the Lord, by his word, opened the way for him to leave the ark. Over a year in the ark. What patience of Noah. It cannot have been the nicest place to have been. But it was the place of salvation for Noah. 
The word of the Lord coming to Noah. What a blessing. Noah, you may leave the ark. You may go down onto the ground. And you and your wife and your sons and their wives and all the animals are to go out onto the earth. And what's more, the instruction is given that the wildlife is to multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. And Noah too would know that God meant that he also was to increase and fill the earth. And there is, if you like, reminiscence there of God's word to Adam and to the animals when he created them. They were to multiply and fill the earth. So now all has been taken away and only Noah and the animals are left. And so here's a new creation or a recreation if you like. A new beginning for Noah under the word of God. It is interesting to note the repetition, the emphasis that Moses brings as he records this, as Noah is obedient to the call. Verses 16 and 17 are the word of God coming to Noah. And then verses 18 and 19, the word is almost repeated exactly. Then so Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives and all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves along the earth came out of the ark one kind after another. And its emphasis is upon the faithfulness of Noah doing exactly what the Lord had said. God had spoken, and so Noah did what Lord had said. And friends, you and I are to be obedient to God's word. We do not have to wait until God speaks today. We have his word. Sometimes we can wonder what we are supposed to be doing. But if we are in the word it is very clear what our activities should be. He has given us work to do for the glory of his name. Your daily employment is to be done as unto the Lord. It is a witness and testimony to God. There are times when you might think, there's something here I, I should maybe be doing. I wonder, is the time right? And you need to be in God's word and seeking to understand by the help of the Holy Spirit his ways and he will show you the way. But so often God has already spoken that we're not left wondering. We're not left in a vacuum. We have the word of the living God in our hands to read and to use and to follow. And we shouldn't expect God to speak today with some great booming voice from heaven or some new word from the Lord. We have his word, the complete, the faithful truth of the scriptures. So when Noah hears God speak, he is faithful. and We are to be faithful to God. We are to wait upon the voice of the Lord. That's what we're doing, I pray, even now. That's what we do when we open our Bibles. We're waiting on the voice of God. He is here. He is speaking. He is bringing a word that you might hear be encouraged to walk in his way. 
Thirdly, as we think about Noah leaving the ark, we see God is worshipped. What is the first thing that Noah does when he leaves the ark? Well, we read of it in this portion. Noah leaves the ark, and in verse 20 we read, So Noah built an altar to the Lord. He comes before God with worship. That is his first act, thanksgiving and worship to the mighty God who has saved him and his family in the midst of the time of wrath and destruction. He understood that he was utterly dependent upon God and God was to be given all the praise and the honor and the glory. He knows that there was no other hope for him but to to dwell in the way of the Lord. And what does Noah do? Under God he sacrificed clean animals indicating that he understood that the only thing worthy to be presented to God was some sacrifice that would please him. A sacrifice that was pure and clean, counted ceremonially clean. That is why Remember, he had been told to take the clean animals with him into the ark. They had to be preserved, but they were to be there also so that this thank offering might be made before the Lord. Noah had set God apart in his heart. He was ready to serve him. Worship and praise of God was the most fitting response from this family. And that's what Noah brings. Their life had been in God's hands and he had preserved. When you have been in trouble, when you have been brought through some situation of difficulty, when you have been brought to saving faith, what is the first response to be? It is to be worship and thanksgiving To God. He has done it. You have come to him with absolutely nothing. There is nothing worthy to offer of yourself. And you come to rejoice in him. And that's why the worship of God week by week ought to be at the top of the agenda of every single believer. Because we come to rejoice in the Savior who has brought us out of sin. We are here to return thanks to God and to to worship Him who alone is the mighty God. Whenever someone helps us on the earth, when we're in a tight spot and someone comes alongside and helps us in some way, what do we do? We return, if we have any sort of humanity, we return and give thanks. We thank them. We applaud them. We, We may give them a gift and say, that is much appreciated. How much more so when your whole life and your eternity has been given to you by Jesus Christ should you not return praise to him. Day and daily indeed we are to return thanks to the living God and we are to come not engrossed in our own thoughts not wound up in our own issues 
But we're to come to God and keep Him to the fore and to worship His name. He is the one we are to look to. God today doesn't demand that we come with some animal sacrifice. We cannot come into God's presence bringing the offering of a bull or a goat. No, He has provided for you and me the perfect sacrifice. And that's what these sacrifices Noah offers show and speak of. The only perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, who offered up Himself a perfect man. And that's the only way you can come to worship God. People will say, well, I'll worship God in my own way. No, you won't. Your way is no good. Your heart is full of sin. Your responses to God will be selfish. The only way that I or you can come into the presence of God to truly worship Him is with the worship that is accepted. And it must be brought through the Savior, Jesus Christ, who alone is that perfect sacrifice that is for God. Quite simply, what we need to learn from Noah is that every morning when we awake and have life, we are to say, thank you God. Thank you for Jesus. And we again offer him up and say, Lord, we will serve him. Bring glory to his name. What do you think? Do you recognize that God has given you that day for his honor, for his glory? Are you thankful for another opportunity to serve, to work, to worship as he is instructed? Oh, we should rejoice in God's hand upon us. Thirdly, fourthly rather, we have the fact that God is pleased. It pleased God. Verse 21. What a beautiful verse. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. God smelled the pleasing aroma. The sacrifice that Noah brought was a right offering, a good offering, a good sacrifice. And God sees it and is pleased with it. He is pleased with it, not simply because of the outward aroma, but that it speaks of a heart rendered to him. It speaks of Noah giving all devotion to God. And that's the thing that pleases God. And we learn in Scripture again and again and again that you can come to God with offerings. You can come to God with all kinds of sacrifices. But unless they speak of a heart that is circumcised, a heart that is right with God, they are not pleasing to God. And as I've already alluded to, the only way you and I can please God come through the one and only sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Having your life yielded to Him. Trusting and serving Jesus as Lord. Because He is the one God sent. How pleasing to God when men say, Christ is King and I will live for Him. And when He sees the offering up of your gifts 
of your time, of your whatever you may be able to do to the glory of God. God is pleased. Pleased with your gift. But pleased more because you have a heart to do the Lord's will. God is pleased. But friends, he is only pleased when we come with a right heart and a right attitude. If we maintain a callous heart, if we are maintaining sin, we can come to God even with our prayers. But if there's a hardness there, if there is a a lack of true looking to, to Christ, we will get nowhere. And we all need to be ready to confess our sin, to admit our mistake, our fault, to admit that times we have thought wrong of others, and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to please you. I come and offer Christ. I have nothing but him. Help me to walk in his way. That's what will please the Lord. Don't store up things in your heart but only Christ as Lord and what does that lead to it leads to God making promises this really leads into the next section but I want to deal with God's promises here isn't it an amazing promise he is not going to destroy the earth again and curse the ground because of man And he says again, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Noah was found righteous in the sight of God. But his righteousness was not of himself. It was God's gift. It was the righteousness of the Messiah given to him. Even away back as the man from whom we all have flowed. His righteousness depended upon the Savior who was yet to come. Every inclination of the heart of man was only wicked. And nothing has changed over the centuries. Every inclination of our hearts is wicked. The only righteousness that you can have is that of Jesus, the perfect man who came not in the line of Adam and of Noah, but by the Holy Spirit born of the woman, but she was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. And it's his righteousness upon which you and I are to depend. It's important that we just note that even then Noah, with all that he was as a man of faith, God still could assess him and his family. That the inclinations of his heart were evil. And yet God promised to be faithful. God promised that never again would the whole world be destroyed. What he has promised to you and me, in fact, is different. He has promised a new heavens and a new earth. He has promised that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we will be able to have a completely new world where there will be no more sin or crying or tears. It will be heaven. And it will be the very dwelling place of God. 
and we will be with him. He will not again destroy all the the animals in the way of a flood. Yes, there will be a day of judgment. There's a cataclysmic day coming when Christ will return. But his promise to his people is, you're mine and I will bring you into my eternal kingdom. And when we hear those promises to Noah, we are reminded of those bigger promises that whoever believes will indeed have eternal life. You see, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. God acted for Noah. God spoke to Noah to bring him out of the ark. God was then worshipped by Noah and it pleased him and he made his promise. Friends, God has remembered man in his sin. All through those generations of Israel, where was God? Where was his Messiah? We could say God remembered man and sent his one and only Son into the world. And you and I are to worship him. He speaks to us, come and believe. And he challenges us to go out and live for him. And he promises us that whoever lives for him will indeed find life. Will you serve the Lord? Will you follow as a weak, sinful, black-hearted sinner you cry out to Jesus and listen to the word of the Lord and find mercy from him? Amen. We're going to conclude singing praise from Psalm 32. Psalm 32 stands at 8 to 12 and the tune is Crimin number 71. Psalm 32, 8 to 12 and we sing the tune 71. Psalmist says, You are my hiding place. You will from trouble keep me free and with songs of deliverance you will encircle me. Here's the psalmist. He's looking to God. Are, we, are you hidden in God, in Christ? Do not be like the dull horse or mule, which, if you would subdue with bitter bridle, must be held to bring them close to you. We need not to be stubborn, but rather listening to God. The wicked will have many sorrows, but the man of God will find righteousness. Psalm 32, 8-12, the tune is 71. Let us praise God together.
Let us pray. Father, we rejoice today in your great salvation. We thank you that you remembered Noah. We thank you that you have remembered us and sent your Son to be our Savior. We thank you that you have spoken, O God, that we might hear your word even today as we've opened up the Scriptures. And we pray that our response will be heartfelt, true worship of your name, bringing to you our, our worship not of ourselves, but through your Savior, the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we plead him, O Lord, in our place and pray that you'll be pleased with us for his glory. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to continue to walk in your ways, that we will take to heart your promises, to live in the light of them and look forward to that day when you will take us away from all the sin of the world, to be with you. Lord, hear our prayer. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with God's people now and always. Amen.